Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, public health reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with WFIU, WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. And this week marked the uh, end of the 2018 Indiana General Assembly. And bills range from uh, the the historic in terms of the, the the Sunday liquor sales to the controversial. And we'll get into some of those as well during this hour on the program. Uh, some of the bills were aimed, aimed at abortion rules, the teacher shortage, loosening gun regulation, opioid crimes, and more. Other bills died this session, such as an effort to consolidate Indiana's townships and another failed attempt at passing hate crimes legislation. We have uh, three guests that are going to be joining us in the studio to talk about the session that just passed. We have two members of the General Assembly, uh, Jeff Ellington, an Indiana State Representative who's a Republican from Bloomington, and Matt Pierce, a member of the Indiana State uh, State House, a, a State Representative who's a Democrat from Bloomington. And also joining us by phone is Brandon Smith, Indiana Public Broadcasting's State House reporter. If you have questions or comments, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can send questions to the show at news at org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Well, welcome, everybody. Brandon, good to have you on again. Great to be here. All right. And Jeff and Matt, good to see you. You had a, a quite a busy week this week. I wanted to start out in sort of a general way and, and ask you to give the session sort of a, a, a grade. You've been now, uh, Jeff, how many years have you, uh, is this for you? This is my third session. Third session, and Matt, you've had... Yeah. Been around a while. Been around a while, right. So, I mean, how did this compare to others? Give it a, give it a grade and, and maybe a, a highlight and a low light. Well, I... I think I'd give it kind of a C just because, uh, to me, what made this session so kind of strange is that there really wasn't anything that earth-shattering or a lot of controversy. It was a lot of bills that maybe were interest to a small subset of people, but really did not have a broader interest to the public. I think the only two bills that were that way was the Sunday sale of alcohol. Obviously, people are interested in that more generally. And I think a lot of people were interested in the CBD oil bill because I heard from a lot of people who are already using that product. So they wanted to make sure they could continue to use it. But it seemed to me beyond those two and maybe making sure schools got their funding topped off, it was just a lot of bills that didn't have opposition, didn't have a lot of debate, and just kind of floating on through. Okay. Did you have a highlight? Um, you know, to be honest with you, I can't. I mean, I think it'd have to be the Sunday sales just because, you know, we've been hearing about that for years and years and years. And, the, the you know, the outside groups finally agreed, and so that made it easy to pass. Okay. We'll hold off on low lights. Jeff, what about you? Um, well, I would say it was unique. Um, this is probably um, one of the sessions. You see things uh, that crop up in the mid of a session that could be important to not only communities but to the states, our, our state. Um, and I think we had that this session. Some things cropped up after bills had already been filed and made it through the House. And, and then you went in that process of maybe trying to insert um, – very, very important topics into other bills, and uh, that generally happens a lot during uh, the budget cycle. Uh, but for as the House Republican side, uh, the the initial goals uh, they'll set out uh, on strengthening education. It's, it puts up us at about a seven billion dollar investment now uh, per budget cycle for education. Uh, we met the the uh, gap shortfall fall for students. That's uh, been increased statewide, and I think those increases are good for Indiana. It means families are moving here. We're starting to build and, and absorb uh, other communities that may be overtaxed in other states next to us, and I think you'll see Northwest Indiana grow um, really tremendously in the next uh, five to ten years because of the new rail project from east to west. Um, 
We also strengthened Indiana's workforce uh, rules and, and laws to uh, help the governor's plan for those expansions. Uh, we streamlined uh, license procedures, not only for uh, opiate uh, epidemic that we have statewide, but also for those uh, license for mental health providers uh, that they'll be able to uh, have that mix between the states, not just Indiana's regulations, so ours will now meet those surrounding states. And I think that will be a help for mental health providers, which I think really is, is the great uh, cause that we have here, not only in Indiana, probably across the nation. You want to pick out uh, one highlight for us? Highlight, well, I mean, to the public, Matt was right. You know, it's going to be, they're going to look at something easy that they can reach out, grab, touch, Sunday sales. Um, uh, the CBD oil. Um, and I think the CBD oil, to me, is probably going to have more impact than Sunday sales could ever have because that gives people an opportunity to try a, a, a product other than a prescription. Um, and it's helped out uh, in many aspects of people's lives. And I, I see it firsthand here in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. Okay, Brandon, how about you? You've been, you've, you've been through several sessions, so how would you characterize this one? Well, I heard things from both Representatives Pierce and Ellington, I think, that stuck with me, which is one, uh, as Representative Pierce said, this was a weird one. Um, it, 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 and Speaker Bosman sort of laid the groundwork for that back all the way in December before the session even started. He said there's no, as he put it, bright, shiny object. There was no central focus that really dominated all the way through session the way, for instance, road funding did last year and other issues have in the past. And so that, that made for a lot of these smaller issues that, not necessarily unimportant, but don't grab the kind of attention that a, a, a major central issue does. And so they, they sort of came and went and came and went all through session. And then something Representative Ellington said, I think, is really on point, which is um, the things that always pop up in the middle of a session that you don't necessarily see coming. Um, those happen every year, but they often in, happen in a budget year where um, – they can sort of get resolved, or at least they don't throw everything off track uh, for the rest of the year because there's so much time left. That didn't happen in a short session. And so, for instance, you had um, the school shooting in Parkland, Florida, that I think really helped derail two different gun bills that ultimately didn't pass and, and really never came close to reaching the floor in the final few days of session. And then you had uh, that create a, a bill on helping improve school safety across Indiana that lawmakers had agreed to but ran out of time to do before the end of session because they were trying to, to work out the mechanics of a new loan program for school safety, and it just didn't make it to the finish line. So I have a, I have a question about that, and also this ties in with the workforce development bill you were talking about. But is there any sort of priority that, that's given to bills at the beginning of the session? Because it does seem like some of these that were pushed up to the wire um, maybe should have taken priority over things like the state insect becoming the firefly or eyeball tattooing. Or is there sort of this un, unwritten rule that it's also about quantity of bills we get, we get through and let's get the low-hanging fruit first? I don't think people really focus on the quantity of bills. I think it's just that every legislator comes with um, bills that are interested in their district or people have approached them. And so I agree. You know, my highlight of the session was voting to make clear that some student could put sunscreen on at school without having to have it be prescribed or put on by the nurse or some crazy thing like that. And apparently something had cropped up at a school somewhere that um, – you know, that wasn't happening, and so we were just kind of injecting some common sense. But you kind of look at it, it's like, really? We have to come all the way up here and use all this energy to deal with an issue like that? And I think some people voted against the bill just because they felt it was kind of silly, but it does solve a problem out there somewhere. There was somebody being told you can't put sunscreen on unless you go to the nurse and get all this paperwork done. So, okay, and, and Representative Ellington, this idea, the workforce development, I know that was one of the priorities that the governor had outlined, and people had said this is going to be the session with workforce legislation, and really... Um, what ended up getting passed was sort of a far cry, I think, from the ambitious things we were thinking that might happen. That's probably usually what happens. Um, it seems like the, the the easy topics that doesn't have, like the Firefly, even though they've tried for many sessions to get that passed, um, after so many kids come up there, I think that the legislator's knees just buckled on that issue and thought it's a good thing to do. It's not going to hurt, hurt a whole lot. And it didn't take much effort to get that passed. So you'll see things like that just get, go through. 
uh, for whatever reason. There's not much pushback from uh, any uh, organization. Uh, whereas some of these things that uh, have so much influence all around that gravi- gravitational force of that ball that's pulling in every direction, and that's what generally is a hang-up, especially during a short session, and especially you know with with uh, not only Indiana focus being on other things, but national focus changing pretty quickly. Um, so I, I uh, but I was I was fortunate to at least. Uh, most of those initiatives got passed somewhat to a certain extent. And as the governor said, if he can't, cannot fulfill um, some of his goals uh, through administrative tasks, he will do it through a legislative, ta- legislative tax. tax. That, means, tax. Uh, yeah. that means a special session. Could be. Could be. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. And, and Brandon, what are you hearing in uh, Indianapolis now? Do you think that we're headed for a special session? Uh, I think there's a better chance this year than there has been before, um, uh, at, at least since 2009, which is the last special session we had. Um, in, the, in the immediate aftermath of the session, Senator Long said he's open to the possibility of coming back for a day to, to pick off those issues that died uh, as the clock struck midnight. Um, Senator, uh, Governor Holcomb left open that possibility, as Representative Ellington just said. Speaker Bosma threw water on it pretty quickly, but um, as Senator Long pointed out, tensions and tempers were a little high uh, with the way session ended, and so he's hoping that after things cool down, they can sort of let leaders can sort of revisit the issue and see whether it's really necessary. So, Brandon, as as I'll let you uh, do this as an observer, and then if our our representatives want to react to it, um, they can. But but sort of take us through that last hour or so of the session because I, I think you know a lot of people have described it who were there have described it as as chaotic uh, as certainly um, there was some anger and some emotion that was going on can you just walk us through what happened uh, yeah, I could probably take the rest of the hour trying to <laughs> talk about what happened in the final 20 minutes of the, of the 2018 session it was uh, that's it's partly what made it uh, I mean we had been talking about how it had been a weird year. I had been talking about that with lawmakers all through the session. And then the cherry on top was how it ended. Um, you don't really see bills die because you ran out of time often. There are some bills that don't make it to the finish line because there is an agreement. Um, the, the gun bill this year, uh, the final gun bill, is an example of that. Like I said, it never really made it close to the floor. It never went to the rules committees or anything like that. Um, but it, it was chaotic on the floor itself with a lot of people not knowing what was going on, the, the speaker trying to negotiate for a little more time with the House Democrats. And on the, in the Senate side, the Senate trying to make a move where the governor issued an order that would extend the session for an hour, uh, there seemed to be no legal basis for them to do that, and they abandoned it pretty quickly under the questioning of Senate Democrats. Um, and And... Speaker Bosman, you know, talked about when he got up to the rostrum to close out the session officially, he said, you know, the republic will survive this. It, it, it's crazy and chaotic, but even these bills that didn't make it through are not the end of the world. It's not like we didn't have a budget or something like that that would suspend operation of the state government. So, um, but I can tell you, it was on the floor, I was on the floor of the House the whole time, um, and on both floors in the House and the Senate, it was just sort of surreal as everybody tried to grapple with what was happening. So we have two representatives here with us today. So Jeff Hallington, why don't you start? I mean, what was it like for you in that last half hour or so? Well, it's um, sort of, I think I learned more this session about really um, the strings that go across from the House to the Senate, who runs the agenda, why things don't get heard. negotiations, you know, in committee meetings, some maybe in the hallways uh, with different organizations. Um, And then you had Senator Long announces that he's going to retire. And I think on the Senate side, that really changed their game plan. It changed what they were used to. Now you've got uh, a group over there that's trying to see probably who's going to fill that position Who's going to be in a leadership role? What can we do to get support? And I think to a certain extent that probably uh, took a little of their focus off um, of the ball. 
on the House side, um, I kept hearing, what are we going to do? You know, things are not coming back as quickly as it should. There are some things that are simple, just like I think 1230 was a simple bill. It was a school safety bill. It was one of those initiatives that sort of got changed uh, mid-session. And to me, um, that's that, that was an important bill. So, and then you had, um, I, I believe, and, and Matt, he's been up there many years. He's a really smart character on this issue. Rules, procedure, and I think in the last few hours, they took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. They slowed the process down. They spoke about issues, and he, Matt gave a really good uh, speech on um, one of the bills. And I agreed with everything you said, but it was issues and topics that we already knew. We'd already went through these bills, and we knew this, but yet it was brought back up again, and it slowed that process down. So, so when you say they slowed it down, you mean the Democrats? At least on those on last, side, yeah. Yeah, that last few hours. Okay. And, you know, and that's within the rules. Yeah. There's things that they didn't want. You know, they did not want the Muncie uh, reorganization bill, uh, which, by the way, because it didn't pass, you know, now you're going to see, as we have in the past, area statewide educational dollars being taken away from our local communities to fill the hole up there from an organization who did not even pay their employment tax, their federal tax. They didn't spend the money properly that was bonded for infrastructure, and they put it in their operational expense, which, by the way, somebody should go to jail for that. Um, we were trying to stop that gap, and that's, that's local tax dollars that went someplace else for things that shouldn't have. Yeah. And so, Matt Pierce? Well, it kind of reminded me of those old silent Keystone Cops movies. I mean, literally. <laughs> it, it was like, I, I've submitted through a lot of sessions, and the thing that was so surreal about it is you've got these two Republican supermajorities, and you've and the governor is a Republican, so you've got complete one-party control to the point where the Democrats, you know, they, in the old days, you could go to caucus and talk about bills for a long time, and without a quorum on the floor, you couldn't conduct any business. And that would cause the majority to have to deal with the minority more in negotiating. And that tool has been gone since the last redistricting. So the fact that this kind of um, battle between Republicans in the House and the Senate was what really kind of did it. And now, for people to really understand what was going on there, you have to understand the rules of the House a little bit. And I'm going to try to explain this really quickly so we don't get into a one-hour parliamentary procedure class. But... At the end of the session, the rules have been designed so that if you have conference committee reports that don't sit on the desk for a certain period of time to be looked at or aren't filed by a certain date, they have to go through this rules committee who, which decides whether to recommend that rules be waived so you can go ahead and vote on the bill and pass it down to the governor, even though it had not been sitting around um, on a desk long enough for people to, to necessarily peruse it. And so that's what the Rules Committee was doing at, on that last day, was as bills would come in. And normally, even though there's a little bit of a race to the finish, I mean, usually there's enough time in the process that you can get through it, even though you're a little pressurized. And so because the Republicans were fighting amongst themselves so much in the House and the Senate, the bills were not getting, the conference committee reports were not getting agreed to. And once you, once you do your agreement, now the Legislative Services has to go back, produce the report, then the report has to go through um, these attorney um, offices and get stamped and approved. They have to be uh, signed by all four members. You've got to track four members down and get it signed. Then it's got to be duplicated and provided to people. And then it comes up to the rules committee and members come in and explain what's going on. Now, it's true that in caucus, you'll have people talk about what, what, is in the, what they believe is in the bill and what's going on with it. And so you have some sense of what you're going to see. But the job of the Rules Committee is to really look in there and make sure that nobody's pulling a fast one, because you can put an extra paragraph of code, you know, of law in there in a big, giant bill and maybe not not see it. And so a lot of what you're doing up there is you're going through the bill and you're looking to make sure there's nothing that looks a little weird or there aren't technical errors or drafting problems, and you're asking the author about that. And, and a lot of times we catch things up there. So that's what we were doing, but the clock was running. Now... I don't think that if you went back and looked at that, that it would look like Democrats were filibustering up in the Rules Committee. I always ask a lot of questions about the bills because I want to try to figure out what's going on in them. But um, 
Then the Keystone Cops part of it is, as we were getting those last five minutes, the speaker suddenly appeared in the Rules Committee room, which is very unusual. Normally, he's down running the floor, and he makes this pronouncement. He says, the school safety bill will be the last bill we're voting on, and so if you don't um, you know, immediately do this stuff, you're going to kill the school safety bill, which quite, quite honestly really outraged me. And I engaged in a little dialogue with the speaker, and I said, are you really telling me that you're holding the school safety bill hostage to what we're doing up here because you can't manage the process and get your votes done in time? I mean, is that what you're really telling me? Which I, I thought was strange. And at that point, the Keystone Cop part kicked in. I looked over. <laughs> I won't mention any names protecting it, but I looked over, and one member of the Rules Committee came in with a stack of conference reports, which I assume was one of the last bills he wanted to get done. And he literally just threw them into the lap of another member. And I couldn't tell whether it was done in anger or just in this frenzy to try to get the bill around. And I'm, I'm explaining to people like, well, this conference report you just gave to me, there are no signatures. Nobody has signed this report, and it looks like you have outdated conference committee members on here. So how can we decide whether to waive the rules on a report we don't know whether it's been properly signed? And then other, the last three reports, they're supposed to be a summary that includes bold type, which explains to you what changes were made to the bill as it passed the House or the Senate. And a lot of them, were, it was just missing. So you could just see the whole system melting down in that final 20 minutes to a half an hour. And the school safety bill ultimately is one of those that didn't pass. But from what I understand, there are ways still that they can kind of achieve the same. Yeah, you know, quite honestly. That school safety bill was nothing but political cover for people who didn't want to do any gun safety amendments. They wanted to be able to have a talking point. So in the election season, if someone says, how come you haven't addressed the issue of, of schools and guns, people could change the subject and say, yeah, but we passed this great bill, which will allow people to borrow some money and to make the schools safer. And, and, and so I, I didn't think it was really necessarily that, that great of a deal. I thought it was more about politics than actual policy. Well, most people don't understand, though, uh, the gun issue in schools, that's been decided many sessions ago. School corporations have the authority to deal with guns on their premises through their local school boards. This bill, one part I worked on in a subcommittee, dealt with code and statute that doesn't match up with school safety plan options. In that bill, uh, and I'm a fireman, been there for 28 years, retired, we dealt with the other other few firemen that talks about uh, there's different panels for school corporations. You have different response time depending upon uh, the systems you have installed. And, you know, you could, because of what's happened mid-session with these shootings uh, and with 9-11, you just never know why an alarm is being pulled, whether it's at a school or a athletic uh, event or a concert. Uh, and there's known facts that sometimes uh, those individuals are out to kill people do that. And our school corporations, uh, if they would have held back people, uh, if there was rumors that somebody was out to, you know, kill somebody or shoot somebody, they had only three minutes of options with a certain panel. And so uh, we worked on changing state code in this bill that would give local authorities through the school boards uh, more uh, to be able to be within state code and law, mm -hmm. and which I thought was very important. All right, we're going to have to take a short break, but I want to give you our phone numbers again because we'd like to have your questions and your comments on the legislative session that just ended. You can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can send questions by Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu.
WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Sorry, I'm on an interview on the radio. Can I call you back here in a few minutes? Okay, thanks. Bye. All right, uh, we're back. Welcome back to Noon Edition. We had a we had an you know, emergency phone call to one of our representatives <laughs> here during the break. Uh, I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU, and we are talking with two members of the House of Representatives today: Jeff Ellington, a Republican, a State Representative from Bloomington, and Matt Pierce a Democrat state representative from Bloomington. And also joining us by phone is Brandon Smith, uh, Indiana Public Broadcasting's State House reporter. If you have questions or comments, please give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition, so yeah, we were talking about you know, the end of the the end of the session, and you know I wondered how you two feel. We got sort of got Brandon's take. How do you two feel about the possibility of a special session? Well, I I just think by the governor's comment that I think that door is open. Um, they'll have to see um, if he can accomplish stuff administratively, and to the certain extent that he would meet his goals or Indiana's goals, especially in the House or Senate working together. Uh, if he doesn't, I, I would say the opportunity would, would be there. Um, I don't think we can do it on uh, the organization, or not, I mean, the technical corrections day. We need to keep that for that. We can't, I don't think we want to change uh, that administratively or legally advertised for that day, but I think maybe before or after, have that sort of in the middle. Or maybe have it at the end and have the special session before. Um, you know, we've already got that scheduled to come back. It's already in the budget potentially for that day, so adding a couple extra days. And I think it's going to take three. Uh, keeping in mind that, you know, the process starts all out again. You can you can do new bills. Uh, you can insert old parts of bills. You can mismatch everything up. It goes through the process again, a shorter process. But then I guess you'll have to uh, see who agrees from the all three parts, who's going to have the agenda? Who are they going to let control that? Um, so I think there's a possibility. I, I don't think we need one. I mean, a couple of these bills are bad policy that shouldn't become law, and the rest of them, it can wait a year. It's not not the end of the end of the world on a lot of this stuff. And so, and I also really don't want to reward people for bad management. I mean, I think if you can't if you run everything from top to bottom with super majorities and you can't get it done on time, then I think you should just face the consequences. That, you know what? You have to wait next until next year for your provision. And um, so I'm hoping that they won't they won't do it and they'll just wait and you know deal with it next year in a long session. Mm-hmm. But I think every session is different. Every session is unique, as I said before, and things come up in the middle of it or towards the end of it. And it's important to not only Indiana. Uh, but every school district and every taxing unit throughout Indiana, especially with the uh, the Fed changing the uh, tax code that we need to redo. If not, that, that could be a potential tax increase for Hoosiers. Yeah. And we want to avoid that. And all it takes is one bill to make a few tax changes to change uh, people's tax outcome and liability. I think that alone is well worth a special session. Not only for us here locally, for me in my district, is the annexation language. That needs to be put back in, and that is still going to be hard to do, to give people a voice. And to me, it's worth a special session to give people a voice. Brandon, if you uh, you know look at the session, were there were there issues that came up this session? You know, there there were several things that didn't pass. Uh, you know, we talked. I mentioned hate crimes legislation for one. There were some issues about townships for two. There were some. You know, some they weren't maybe real, you know, shiny object kind of issues, but they were still uh, important issues. 
Was there anything that surprised you about the session that maybe didn't make it through, or did it go pretty much as you thought it would? Uh, the, right at the end, the school safety bill not getting to the finish line surprised me a little bit, though, of course, again, that was, complication there was um, uh, was the, the creation of this this loan program for school safety upgrades that clearly the mechanics of that slowed down um, the passage of that bill. Uh, I, I don't think anything stood out as I was stunned it didn't pass, other than that right at the end. Um, the autonomous vehicles legislation, I would have said when the session started uh, to impose regulations on that industry in Indiana, when the session started, that was a priority of Governor Holcomb's. There seemed to be agreement about the House and Senate that that legislation needed to be there. Um, it ultimately didn't pass at the end. It was one of those bills that died as they ran out of time. But as the session went on, it became less and less surprising to me that that didn't make it to the finish line because there seemed to be deep divisions between the House and Senate over what that legislation should contain and how that industry should be allowed to operate in Indiana. So that that was surprising to start with, but less and less so as it went on. Real quickly, I think there were five measures that didn't make it to the finish line. We've six. talked six. We've talked yeah. about the autonomous uh, vehicles. We talked about the school safety. What were the other four? Um, uh, a handful of tax issues, uh, some of which Representative Ellington just mm -hmm. mentioned, uh, having to do with federal changes, and then um, the Muncie-Gary school mm -hmm. takeover bill. Okay. I wanted to ask you, Representative Ellington, you sponsored this bill that would have stopped local governments from being able to regulate logging or mineral extraction on private land, and that, that bill didn't pass. And then, it's, if I remember correctly, it got tucked into another bill, possibly, or possibly was going to gain new life. Um, can you just explain a little bit more about what you think that bill would have done and if you plan on reintroducing something similar? So the original bill was a, a really hefty lift. It, it took away control for mineral extraction activities, um, except it didn't change the, I believe, it didn't change the planning and zoning rules and regulations. What it did, it changed the permit process. It set public policy uh, that would give permit processes through um, driveway permits for roadway cuts and uh, bonding uh, availability for local govs to enact new bonding ordinances uh, that would protect roads and bridges for those activities outside of that piece of property. It also uh, changed the way we treat uh, forestry uh, management. You know, 91 out of 92 counties gets to perform forestry management uh, production underneath of still erosion control, IDEM, DNR, Army Corps of Engineers. There's a lot of rules and regulations out there. We are 90-plus percent uh, with best management practices, so they try to go out there and make sure that everything is uh, no slope uh, runoff, no stream degradation, protecting all our lakes and our, our drinking water. Uh, I sent that over to Heavy to negotiate, uh, to try to get it back to where I, I really wanted to be at. And the language, uh, after my bill did not get a hearing in the Senate, I, I watered it way back. I gave back control to cities and towns and their jurisdiction and their corporate limits for mineral extraction. Uh, I gave uh, back the authority for them to reach outside of their incorporated area to protect their floodplains. And also in the county, I gave back the county's jurisdiction for mineral extraction and floodplain language. So the gain on my bill uh, was to protect uh, Indiana's assets, uh, especially now that we have potential tariffs on imports of steel, aluminum, and all the alloys in the middle, which even by saying that, production is, is there is a greater demand now for production. You see, see a new steel mill going to open up. You see Alcoa is going to open up a, a smelter in 2016. They laid off 600 employees, and these ain't, you know, $7 or $8 hour jobs. These are good jobs with benefits. There's people that drive an hour to two hours to go to those jobs. So I'm trying to protect these assets from small municipalities who reach outside of their incorporated limits to place their values on residents who do not get to vote for that administration. And that was the baseline for my, my bill, was to give back local control while still still taking care of our streams and water. Um, and, and, and I think it was, unless you are a planning attorney, uh, 
you get an organization that says it's going to kill us, you know, you're going to have mining operations right outside the city limits, you know, they're going to bust our water lines and sewer lines, and, you know, they just didn't really understand my bill. And it's a really hard bill to understand, you know. I was on the plan commission for four years, president for two, so I've seen uh, code revision, cha- revision, revision changes in Monroe County uh, at an at a extreme level that they have more words and commas and and periods and interpretations for what you can and cannot do than Heinz has pickles. And it was basically just kind of evened out the community throughout the states, all 92 counties. Matt, well, I know I know you didn't support that bill. No. Uh, and, and I'll let you talk about that if you want. But I wanted to, to switch gears a little bit and go to, um, you know, the hate crimes bill. Uh, will Indiana ever get a hate crimes bill? Well, you got to wonder. I mean, it's all down to the politics. Um, I think essentially what happened there, as near as I can understand it, is um, Republican members basically said if we vote for a hate crimes bill that includes protections for transgendered individuals, our social conservative base will rebel and perhaps run against us in primaries or vote against us in general or not vote for us, you know, anybody at all, and we may end up thrown out. And so we don't want to... um, you know, kick that hornet's nest and take that risk. And I think the governor then said, well, if you send me a bill without that in there, then that's going to become an issue. And then we might end up with another RIFRA situation where suddenly there's all of this focus on Indiana, national attention, saying, why don't you want to protect transgendered individuals from hate crimes bills? So I think the governor is saying, like, you better send me something comprehensive or don't send me anything at all. And, and because of that, I think the Republicans decided once again to walk away from it. Which, I mean, it's interesting how it shifts because previously the difficulty with the hate crimes bill was because um, people said that it would allow pastors to be arrested if they, um, you know, had sermons that were opposed to homosexuality because it was going to protect um, gay individuals. And so it's just interesting how the, how the target moves around of the political problems that Republicans have with their, with their own particular base. And so I think that's what happened to the to the hate crimes bill. And just to add a point on, on Jeff's bill, I did um, disagree with it. And I think that when it passed through the House, it might have been viewed as more of a bill mainly impacting our area down here in Monroe County, and kind of something maybe a little special situation here. But as it got over into the Senate, you started to hear from other people around the state. And so apparently it was going to have a more immediate impact on people up around Lafayette, where there's an attempt to put in some kind of gravel pit or sand pit or something near um, some residential areas. And then I know there's a huge battle going on um, in southern Indiana because Alcoa does want to get a coal mine going or expanded or something that would move right up against, um, I think, the town of Boonville or Newburgh, somewhere down in there. And those people obviously are concerned about that. So to me, they're, they're, you know, people, we talk about property rights a lot in the legislature, and I would agree with the general proposition that people should have the right to do what they want with their property. But the truth is, sometimes what we do with our property impacts people around us, particularly in in areas where um, you have people living close together. Now, even in rural areas where you might have a subdivision kind of out in the countryside somewhere, things going on around it. And so, to me, I'd like to give the local units of government that are elected by their own people to decide what they think are the best kind of planning and zoning to, to have that all peacefully coexist. And there are difficult um, you know, issues to be resolved there, but to me, I would rather have that kind of battle down at the local level as opposed to having the state kind of trying to um, do a one-size-fits-all or reduce the, the tools that people have in their local communities through their government to decide what they want to do. So getting back to lo- local control, I, I don't think Matt really understands my bill because my bill gives local control. It gives it back to the cities and towns. It gives it back to the counties. You have IDEM, Army Corps, uh, DNR. They control a lot. If you have two hillsides and you have a rain event and water flows through those hills and there's no creek there, not even a dry creek, but just water flow, IDEM controls that. Uh, so my bill still maintains that control. It, like I say, unless you are a, a planning attorney and you read and you've got experience with that, the common person just uh, doesn't understand it and they get scared by a few comments made out of context. 
two uh, bills that I, I don't think got yeah. much play in the media, but Representative Pierce, I want to ask you about the Die with Dignity bill that, that you um, talked about quite early, and then also rural internet. So um, maybe you can start just talking about dying with dignity, because I think you recognized early on that this wasn't going to pass this session. Yeah, what I wanted to do is um, try to jumpstart a conversation amongst um, the constituents and their legislators about that issue. Um, I, you know, I, I took on that issue because I had people in my own district come to me and, and talk about that they felt there was a need for it and researched and looked into it. And, you know, Oregon is one of the first state to do it. They've had it for, I think, almost 20 years now. And uh, there, there really hasn't been a problem with it. Now, I know that anytime you deal with end-of-life issues, it's very difficult. I mean, we, we as a society are just not good about talking about those issues and kind of preparing for the inevitable that is coming, whether we like it or not. And so um, I wanted to try to jumpstart that conversation and see if we could get into it. Um, but I think that most legislators are reluctant to take on that issue and, and to um, to deal with it. But we're, we're going to keep trying to um, educate people about the bill, keep the public engaged, and, and um, see if we can get a little bit more um, movement next year. And then rural internet, the, this yeah. effort to expand it to rural areas, that did pass. It did, but I got to tell you, and see, this is why one of the arguments was that the Democrats like filibustered or drug things out to kill off these bills at the end. I can tell you that, now I did take my time in a CBD oil bill because I really wanted people to understand <laughs> what was going on there. So so I took my time, and, and uh, but I could have spent a lot of time on the broadband bill, and I, and I, I just basically told people like, okay, it's kind of a harmless bill, but it's not really going to do much. And if you want more of the details, you can come and see me after we're done. And uh, but, and, and I wish I had had I wish I would have had the time to take to really explain it because what what that bill does is first of all, there's a total of um, there's a rural development fund. It's got about six hundred thousand dollars in it, and it's supposed to fund a whole bunch of different things. And so they added broadband to the list. But then the big carriers, your AT&Ts, your Verizons of the world, they, I believe, are petrified that anything that will generate potential competition. So even though the goal of the bill is to get into unserved areas, these rural areas, if you get a new carrier established in a rural area, they might begin to expand out over time and perhaps overlap the current providers in some of those smaller towns and other communities. So. They riddled that bill. There, there's like a whole page of opportunities for the carriers to come in and say, oh, no, we have coverage there, and that would prevent you from getting the grant. And so if you've got some cell tower over there, you know, it maybe provides a little bit of coverage, that might block out somebody from getting a grant to put in you know, fiber optics and do heavier stuff. Then the other thing they did is they made the threshold really low. It's like 10 megabits per second. So we kind of turned our rural... Um, people into second-class citizens right off the bat, because instead of saying, let's strive to get the infrastructure up to the level that people have in urban areas, we said, well, a little bit of something is better than nothing. And so I was really frustrated by that bill. And then on the public record side, the telecom people do this in every bill. Whenever they provide information about where they're serving and what they're doing in our state, they say it's a proprietary trade secret. Now, we have in our open records law a process where you can tell the agency, I believe this is a proprietary trade secret and you have to keep it from the public. And then there's a process and some legal standards for the agency to decide whether that is really true. In every one of the telecom bills, they put in there that the carrier, the person with the information, has the sole right to decide whether it's proprietary. And so I'll just give you one example. Do you know today, 10 years later, it is still a proprietary trade secret unavailable to the public where AT&T has been authorized to provide cable TV service in the state of Indiana. It's a secret. So if you want to say, hey, where, where do they have certificates of a territorial authority to offer you know, AT&T U-verse to say, sorry, that's a trade secret. I mean, that's how ridiculous it's got. So there are a lot of things in that bill that frustrated me, and, and it won't amount to a hill of beans. <laughs> I want to give uh, our numbers again. We have about 10 minutes to go if you want to give us a call. 812-855-0811, and uh, our toll-free number is 1-877-285-9348. If you're sitting at your computer, email us, news at indianapublicmedia.org. Uh, I wanted to uh, – Brandon, I'm, I'm going to bring you in um, in a couple of minutes, and I want, if, I'm just going to give you a, a heads-up to think about what, what this session set us up for for, for next year, for the, you know, for the so-called long session. 
So I'm going to I'm going to ask you that in just a minute, but I wanted to go back to to uh, these two guys and, and talk about you know Representative Jeff Ellington, Representative Matt Pierce. You know, were there particular um, things that you you two, the two of you, passed this year? If you could keep it kind of quick, bills that you had that were um, things that that you're proud of. And then uh, the second thing I want you to talk about, make sure we get this in today, is about the the Sunday sales. And we have Sunday sales, but we still don't have cold beer in convenience stores. So, uh, Jeff, do you want to start? Jeff, you want it all, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of my bills didn't pass, and I really think it's, it would be a great bill. It's a, it was a telemarketing bill, a cybersecurity bill that was directed toward the, the Attorney General's office uh, through partial uh, code revision changes that uh, small business people now are exempt from signing up for the do not call list because you've got companies that, you know, they want to compete in whatever area, whether it be uh, broadband, you know, phone systems, insurance, materials, supplies from business to business. And uh, that would have changed the scope where my bill would allow a small business to sign up for the do not call list. You know, I get sometimes maybe 10 calls a day on my phone number. And when I'm not at the office, it forwards to my cell phone. A lot of people's got done away with their landline and now they have cell phones for whatever reason they fill something out you know for uh, a car repair or ordering a new product and their phone number gets out there on a list and they're constantly being barraged with call after call you know eight nine o'clock at night and then all of a sudden you see somebody calling you and it's got the same area code where you're from, or it may be a friend's phone number, and you think, oh, it's Joe Smith calling me. And you pick it up, and it's a telemarketer. I hit a brick wall uh, with actually the Chamber of Commerce. They were concerned about if my bill passed, it would cost Indiana jobs. I tried to work around that to see what text changes I could make, and I didn't get a hearing. But to me, that's one important bill uh, that I think next session. And I've already begun discussion also in another area we gave scholarships to teachers because of a teacher shortfall. We have um, a more important shortfall right now. It's psychologists and psychiatrists in the state of Indiana that are taking new clients. And with our mental, excuse me, with our opiate academic um, addictions, we can talk about giving treatment and things like that and switching pills and products. But the bottom line is, why are they addicted? I want to propose, and I have proposed, uh, that we'll, we'll offer scholarships for mental health providers who get a degree here in Indiana. And once you get that degree, we'll waive a portion of that degree cost. But you must spend four years in a school corporation. We want I want one per school corporation as a mental health provider that will be in our school. And that will set the framework and the base work to help uh, fix and repair some okay. of our damage. Matt Pierce, a couple minutes. Sorry. Well, no, no problem. Yeah, none of, none of my bills passed, and and that, so when you're in the minority, your most bills don't. I mean, if you go and look, how many bills were Republican, how many were Democrat, as far as the authors? I mean, it's very very small percentage are the minority party. Part of that's because there's a disagreement on policy, so that's understandable. A lot of it's just you have so many Republicans with bills they want to get heard. The committee chairs tend to want to take care of people in their own caucuses and as opposed to people outside. So that's the difficult. So a couple bills that um, I had hoped to enact that didn't really get any consideration. One was uh, auto parts with Jeff Ellington and I were on together. So that was a little bit of a um, bipartisan kind of approach. Just make sure that you could um, demand qu uh, factory original parts no matter which insurance company you were filing your auto claim with. Couldn't get that moving. And then I had another one that would um, prohibit non-disclosure agreements and sexual harassment and sexual assault civil cases. We, we've seen lots of instances where people's bad acts have been covered up, and so I wanted to stop that, and I couldn't um, prevail upon people to move that. And that kind of fits into this session. I mean, I and a lot of my colleagues said over and over again, we looked at each other, it's like, these bills just don't mount to a hill of beans. I mean, I guess they're important to somebody out there, but they don't seem very important to the general scheme of things. And so I just think of this issue as what did not happen? We did not address nonpartisan redistricting or put a, um, something in place to do that. We did not really address the Department of Child Services problems or provide any oversight there. We're letting the governor, I guess, do that. 
Um, there weren't. There was no gun safety response. I mean, there's some school safety stuff, but you know, the real issue of you know what do we need to do on the firearm side of the equation to try to keep these um, weapons out of the hands of people who um, have just perpetrated all these tragedies. We started out with a bill on solar panels to try to walk back a little bit what was done last year, which made it harder for the solar industry to get going. So there was something we put on um, help schools put up the solar panels. That ended up getting killed off early on. We weren't able to get anything done to protect the backcountry areas of the state forests from um, timbering and logging. We talked about the hate crimes bill not passing. So to me, there was a lot of, of a long list of, of policy things that we should have addressed that we just didn't get to. Brandon Smith, we only have about a couple minutes to go. What, what are we set up for? Uh, the, two quick ones. Uh, one, something Representative Ellington mentioned, workforce development. There was two bills, uh, two priorities of, of both chambers that passed to sort of restructure Indiana's workforce development system. And there were some things that will take place this year, such as the governor's workforce cabinet, the creation of that, and things like that. But a lot of it, and this is by the admission of the lawmakers themselves, a lot of it is setting itself up for next year when they write the new state budget and sort of figure out which programs are we going to fund, which aren't we, where are we going to direct our dollars. So that's the biggest one that was set up for next year by this year. And, and then I say this only half-jokingly, yes, they passed Sunday sales, but they only legalized it from noon to 8 p.m. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're setting ourselves up for a fight next time to extend those hours a little bit. What about cold beer, Brandon? Uh, that's also going to be the, the convenience stores care a lot about that issue. That'll be the fight on alcohol going forward. All right. Well, we are out of time. I want to I want to thank all of our guests today. It's always great to have our lawmakers, uh, State Representative Jeff Ellington, State Representative Matt Pierce here in the studio with us. Brandon Smith always gives us a, a great performance, telling us about what's been going on at the State House, and of course, my partner Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. We've had a lot of help in here today uh, doing this program. So for uh, Lindsay Wright and Becca Costello, who were our two producers today. For engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber internet, HD, and digital IPTV in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.